Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through candid conversations about cyber issues. Sponsored by Agency, with your host, Kath Nibbs. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. This week is uh, another amazing episode. And um, before we jump into the conversation that I have with Justin, um, I wanted to say congratulations to him um, as this week, since recording our podcast, he has been selected for an Interact Fellowship um, and is one of 50 technologists out of a thousand, um, which is is some mean feat. Um, So yeah, the conversation that I have with Justin this week, um, we, we really kind of go deep into his article from last week, but again, we've only taken a tiny, tiny section from it. Um, and what we discussed this week was the idea of consent, um, which is pretty well timed actually with something that um, I've noticed has happened with Facebook and their updated privacy settings. Um, so yesterday I was kind of flicking through um, Facebook settings and, and so I've spent quite a bit of time going off and having a look at um, what the terms and conditions actually are. Um, and there was a section that talked about facial recognition, which on on the whole looks like a really interesting way of um, finding out if you've been tagged in other photographs. And I think um, TechCrunch have done a, a, an article on it this week. Um, yeah, we discussed this in our previous episode. And what we actually discuss in this week's episode is the idea of consent. Um, now, miraculously, I just happened to have been talking to... Um, a number of people, um, some have been clients, and we talked about the, the new things that have happened on Facebook, because quite often people talk to me about this in therapy um, because they know what I do. Uh, yeah, the number of people that are just clicking, okay, 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 okay. And we we kind of cover this, you know, is this real consent? Um, and how can you consent to something if you haven't read it or understood it? So we kind of talk about the ethics of that. Um, we go into uh, and that and that kind of follows follows the conversation that we have about heuristics. Um, we talk about the misinformation, information, um, and how it's presented to us and how it has an impact on us in terms of how how we operate as human beings cognitively. Um, and then there was a brilliant part towards the end. Well, I say brilliant. Um, I've I've had a massive learning curve. Um, because I came straight from the the gym and the sauna on a Friday night to record the podcast episode with Justin. And what I found is I don't function very well late at night on a Friday after a long day at work uh, and then working out in a sauna. So I actually got to the stage towards the end of the podcast and it's just to let you know in advance, I um and uh and get stuck and I have what they call tip of the tongue state when I couldn't remember um, the name of, um, a, a, well, it was a podcast. It was, um, I, I talked about a website called Open Water um, and I really struggled to um, remember the name of somebody. And this really bothered me. I actually considered going home, sending Justin a message and saying, can we, can we, reschedule can we redo the podcast because i i got stuck um so the name of the lady i was trying to recall the name of last week is mary lou jepson 
and I was trying to discuss the new the new technology that um, she's she's involved in, and I am absolutely st I am amazed, stoked, excited. Um, this is this is really really fascinating technology. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to leave it at the the introduction here. Again, I'm going to talk about um, my Patreon page and um, the 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 point that I'm making about actually I do give a lot of my time to do this podcast. So. In between clients, I'm editing, I'm uh, sending emails, I'm organising who I'm going to be speaking to, um, I record in my own time, I edit, I don't actually have um, any, any staff to help me with this at the moment, and there's a part where I want to do more reflections on what's happening um, around, around the episodes, um, around what's happening, and um, yeah, the only way I can do this is really with a bit of help because what I actually spend a lot of my time doing is, uh, apart from work, is, is sitting and thinking about how how I can make this podcast something that we can all um, benefit from. Um, and yeah, this is, this is my time, guys. And um, what I'm trying to say is I will not be able to do this indefinitely because of things that are happening for me this year and uh, obviously I'd, I'd said the other week that they're embargoed and again they still are. So I'm, I'm looking at what's going to be happening for me and the amount of time I can devote to this. So what I'm either asking for is A, uh, a really, really good book contract um, or B, for people to start donating to the Patreon page and... Um, allowing me to come back and spend some time with you talking about what what was discussed in the podcast and why that why this has such a big impact the the ethical implications the technological implications and really kind of bringing this to to become more of an in-depth maybe academic uh, reflection but in order to do that it's tapping into my time and like everything else i value my time so essentially this podcast may may reduce in the number of episodes that I uh, that I engage in, um, and obviously this is where I'm going to direct you to the Patreon page. You can you can donate a pound. You could donate I don't know thousand pound million pound as much as as much as you want to, um, but it needs to be five pound a month for me to effectively start to bring in uh, a bit of an income to actually warrant my time where I do the reflection with you. Um, obviously I'm going to let you dive into the, the episode. Um, let me know what you think. Again, please rate, subscribe, share this. Um, I think Justin and I are going to be doing lots more of these conversations, um, because, uh, yeah, I think, I think both of us are on pretty much the same page here in terms of, um, what we want to discuss. And I have different reflections. And as, as you'll hear in this episode, um, one of the conversations I did have was regarding um, a slight difference on Mary Aitken and uh, John Sula's work. And obviously this is where I come from in my uh, cyber trauma theory. So thanks for being really patient guys because I've probably rambled on uh, again. Um, it is part and partial of my personality. And I shall see you next week. Hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. This week I'm joined by Justin once again and I'm not going to spend too much time introducing him because we uh, he's on an earlier podcast episode. So for those of you who haven't listened, go back. Um, 
find the episode where we talk about cyber ethics, warfare, and lots and lots of other uh, uh, interesting areas. Um, so welcome back again, Justin. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. I, well, I'm uh, as we've just said, I am absolutely stoked to be having this conversation with you again, um, or not in terms of it's going to be slightly different. Um, <laughs> what, a, what a thought, yeah, as, as I just said, I've got no idea what questions I'm going to ask you today. However, I did read through um, your article that uh, we talked about last time, and I thought what we could do was go a little bit more in-depth on that. Um, but also, we, we've got quite a few other areas that we can kind of tangent off with. Um, so the, the article that you did, um, just for uh, uh, basically people that are listening, um, is called Practical Human Security. Um, so you did this with uh, another author, uh, Anastasios uh, Arampatis, is it? Um, yep, yep, great guy, yep. great guy. Okay, so it's quite a lengthy article and we like last time we're not going to get through um all of the content but the the part that i found um quite interesting was the humanness that that kind of comes with what we do um via the internet or any electronic device so did did you want to kind of introduce the article and the the humanness side of it so that was part two sure yeah um, so we referenced this last time, and like you said, I guess yeah. people can go back and listen to that if they'd like. Um, but I can send you a link to this. This is this was featured on the cover of Cybersecurity Trends magazine this past quarter. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, I wrote this with Tassos, who's, who's a good friend. Um, so one of the things that he and I had discussed a lot was was the psychological side of our interactions with technology. Mm. And there's been great work that's been done on that in social media, addiction, in trauma, things like that, right? But when you're looking at cybersecurity, that wasn't exactly the case. So one thing we were interested in doing and ended up becoming this, this you know, 10, 20 page paper, as you pointed out, um, was, was looking at cybersecurity from the perspective of the cognitive and heuristic biases that us humans have when we make yeah. decisions and yeah. saying, okay, these biases are there. They've existed for, for decades, for hundreds, for thousands of years, perhaps, right? Um, we can't get rid of them. They're rooted in our biology, right? But if we know they're there and we understand how they operate, how can we actually design around those so we're actually making cybersecurity more convenient? We're actually making cybersecurity more understandable. Um, so that was kind of the general angle with which, with which we attacked the article. Mm. Yeah, and it, it was definitely the um, definitely the cognitive biases, the the heuristics. Um, so I'm just thinking for some listeners, I don't know whether they will be um, uh, either researchers or or kind of psychologists, if you like. So heuristics are the the um, the quick route to making decisions. Um, so one of the things our brains do is try to find um, patterns that are, well, it's pattern recognition centers that actually work out how they can do quick shortcuts. Um, so for example, when you see a table, you wouldn't look at the fact that it might be square, it might have four legs, you just know a table is a table and you build up um, lots and lots of schematas about what a table might look like and heuristics are the rules to what a table would uh, kind of, how that would operationalize and how you would then define it um, and in terms of 
social interactions, the heuristics are really an easy way of us learning what the, the social decorum is and what we're supposed to do and how it works. And we learn that at a really young age. Um, so I'm just thinking about, yeah, the fact that young people use the internet and young people use devices. And this is where I think um, maybe, and I don't know what you think to this, Justin, maybe there's going to be some new kind of heuristics about how people communicate and, and what happens online. And then in terms of cybersecurity and so on and so forth, I wonder if that's going to have quite an impact as well. Yeah, there are, there are certainly, as you, as you just pointed out, are, are important differences between the ways in which different generations, different genders, religions, cultures, right? All kinds of people <laughs> make decisions, um, which is why I think when we were writing this, this was such an interesting starting point because part of what was touched upon and, and Tassus was a big part in this was understanding the cultural biases as well as the cognitive ones, right? What, what has yeah. been socially ingrained in addition to biologically. And I think before you start to understand the differences between, you know, someone from culture A and culture B and how they make these decisions with technology, I think well, first you have to understand what, what do they have in common? What are the, what are the biological, what are the underlying cognitive biases that we all have when we make decisions. I think a, a great example would be representativeness. So because our brains, like you said, with a table, like to make decisions as fast as possible, we tend to group similar information together and then make assumptions off of that, um, which seems like common sense, right? I mean, we mm -hmm. all do it, but mm -hmm. that's something important to think about. And a good example is perhaps something we've all experienced, which is getting we talked about this last time, getting a sketchy email, right, from Apple or, or Amazon saying, oh, we, we have your account details and click here and enter your social security number, right? Mm. So sent by a hacker, right, but they're exploiting representativeness. And so if they were cold emailing you from a strange address with weird font, someone you had never spoken to before, and asked you to reply with your social security number or your credit card information, you probably yeah. wouldn't do that because yeah. that would be really stupid, right? We immediately realize we're trying to be tricked. However, they know that, they, that people receive Amazon emails all the time, right? Mm. We constantly mm -hmm. are getting junk from LinkedIn, from Facebook, right? So they know, okay, if I format this email exactly like a Facebook alert, exactly like a LinkedIn request, your brain, you're not going to scrutinize it too closely because your brain is going to want to take shortcuts when reading that email. So you will immediately assume, oh, this is safe. This is just Amazon verifying my account information. Yeah. And next thing you know, a hacker is your credit card. Um, so that's so representativeness is what we call that. And like I said, it might seem like common sense, but understanding things like that are very important, not just for how to exploit humans, which people certainly do, but using that from the, the defensive side, understanding how to protect humans in cyberspace and better understanding our tech behavior. Yeah, yeah yes, I'm, uh, as you were talking, I was just thinking, um, so I'm, I'm in the process of writing my book at the minute, like I've just been uh, nattering on about. I, I tend to use um, Daniel Kahneman as a, a, a reference for talking about the kinds of errors okay. that we make. Because um, he talks about we make um, two, essentially it's like type one and type two errors that we have in research but we we make mm. quick decisions and sometimes they're the right decision with the wrong information or the wrong decision with the right information if that makes sense 
and and it, it yeah. depends on yeah. how we take how we take the information in and then what we do with it cognitively um and I, i'm just thinking this taps into familiarity this taps into um patterns this taps into what you're used to and and this is why essentially people can be fished really quickly yeah yeah people are are very trusting online the online disin, disinhibition effect we we yeah. call that right um yeah mary dr mary aiken in her book the cyber effect actually compares some people's online behavior to to as if you were drunk because we're so quick to share information and give out personal details um but yeah no it's it's definitely it's definitely important to understand how familiar things can seem on the internet and whether that's because there's an information overload, right? We're constantly getting pushed alerts, Facebook feeds, right? Are filled with news articles and posts and comments and likes mm -hmm. and things, not just from our first degree networks, but second or third or fourth or fifth degree networks, right? Um, things might seem familiar because we have mutual connections with someone. So sometimes it's just a, a social network theory kind of thing. Um, and other times things seem familiar, like you said, with the phishing emails, just because technology makes it so easy to tailor things to look customized or look personal. And those are those emails we get from random companies that have your first name at the top. And we don't even think anymore, right? When that first came out, you could mass email a million people and put their name and their address and a personal color in the background. That is mind-blowing, right? But mm. that happens all the time. So, so stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, which when you start thinking about things like fake news and scams and things like that, it's really no surprise that it's so difficult or rather that it's so easy to, to I was going to say difficult to detect, but so easy to, to slip this in under our radar. Yeah. I, I, um, Gordon Bennett, that was a bit of a stutter. Um, I have a slightly different approach to Mary Aitken in terms of, um, Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if uh, you have read my, um, so I'm now going to plug for a second. I've done a, an article on media, which is called The Polyvagal Portal to the Matrix, okay? And I, I've kind of used The, the Matrix as okay. a, a film to reference. But what, what I suggest is that um, because of the distance we sit from our um, phones, from our um, whatever it is that we use in the device, it's generally about 30 to 40 centimetres. And what this does is it creates a false safety. And this is to do with our um, physiological uh, arousal systems and our nervous systems. And, and it's okay. from a theory called the polyvagal theory. And what, I, what I'm suggesting, I think I might have read in your... Um, do, 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 let me just check on your article. I think you talked about the lack of instincts. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and yes, that's, yes, that's yes. essentially what, what I'm saying gets bypassed. So um, in, in the article, I, I quickly reference and I say that if we're, if we're at 30, 40 centimetres, what it does do is it taps into this early childhood infant, um, what's called the eye gaze distance. And this is what babies are born able to communicate. And when they're being held and they're safe, their eyes relax they connect with their parent, they feel safe, soothed, seen, secure, and all of the other things that feel very, very lovely. And actually, our nervous system can be tricked by this distance and just by the very fact that we're holding something at that distance. So I'm, I'm suggesting this is why <laughs> things get overridden. Um, and it really is biological. Okay. Um, so, I mean, not that I'm disputing what Mary Aitken's talking about, but this disinhibition is actually maybe a hijack system. 
that you know the biological system's being hijacked. So yeah, that's an interesting that's an interesting thought. Um, yeah, there's there's definitely I I I mean obviously not not that I know the the biology and stuff like that as well as you, but but um, even just thinking about how much information during face-to-face communication that we get from body language, right? All of these yeah. tiny yeah. little, you know, these subtle social signals that, that we all pick up and end up being the reason why it's so hard to detect things like sarcasm and stuff like that over the phone because, because we can't see the person. So that's an interesting thought. Yeah. I haven't read that article, but I will have to check that out. Yeah, I will. I will. Uh, um, I'll, I'll send it to you and for anybody else. Um, it's on medium. Um, but also this okay. is, the whole this is the whole premise of my cyber trauma theory is is based on this um this biological drive to connect um which is kind of what we were talking about earlier but it is this biological yeah, yeah. Drive to connect and and lots lots of people have kind of looked at the uh, and this is kind of what we're talking about today i suppose is the technology and they forget the human that sits at the other side of the technology um so there is oh there is a phrase isn't it it's um the, the uh it, the fault does not lie with the computer it lies with the keyboard operator it, when you when you see yeah like that, yeah 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 you know it's it's uh i mean you can take that in many you can take that in many ways right i mean that can be you know people reading just sharing disinformation and things like that but um you know even what we talked about last on the last podcast which is you know which is that that people are biased and when they program these algorithms bias is going to go into that so in that sense they're flawed right in the sense of yeah. me not being completely cyber secure or me being over trusting when i'm using the internet that compromises the safety of my device or my information so mm-hmm. there's a lot of a lot of angles with which you can attack that but i i 100 agree with that sentiment yes yeah yeah and, and and i think sometimes that's that's what we do isn't it we share because we're trying to create something so whether that's a connection or or trying to i don't know so some people share for egotistical reasons some for narcissistic some so there's something about it's it's why we're doing what we're doing as as well yeah yeah it's gamified right it's it's gamification how many likes can um, you get and how many comments and shares and views yeah. You know, and we all like to pretend, myself included, that we don't care about these metrics and that they're just numbers and what you really care about is personal engagement and things like that. But the fact of the matter is we all care about those numbers. And as the science shows us, right, as the studies show us, behavioral economics, we very much care about those numbers and we very much care about how we are trending online or how many people are watching our video or reading our article, right? So um, there's definitely yeah. some... some you could even argue demand characteristics in that sense that we're, we're feeling compelled to do X, Y, Z just because it might attain more social acumen over the internet. Absolutely. And that's been definitely a conversation I've had with every single podcast guest is, you know, how's it doing? Um, how many people are watching? And obviously the, the, the issue with um, doing it on iTunes and YouTube is iTunes. I have to go and search for the data and find out how many downloads there are, but YouTube it's that it's there in the public domain how many people are watching these videos and 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 at times you know i i find that i'm i'm probably having my own internal crisis when i'm going oh, it's only got uh, uh, whereas i yeah, have prepared yeah, it right. to the download right right <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's my that's my point we all do it and 
And, you know, that's the reason these marketer, you know, marketers and advertisers and mm -hmm. hackers, even social engineers, social manipulators are very well aware of, of these facts. And even, you know, I've, I myself have certifications in social engineering and manipulation, right? And during that training, that's, that's something else that's covered is understanding not just the interest in going on Facebook just to go on Facebook or using X app just to use X app, but understanding the fundamental social motivations that that push us to behave certain ways of, uh, online so yeah and how nicely i'm just thinking how nicely timed and how nicely steered into the point of why we do what we do online and and uh, yeah this gamification behind uh our use on facebook um and you know obviously we're going to try not to do the zuckerberg thing too much today however I think we can talk about that. <laughs> it's really nicely timed, actually, that people are now starting to recognize. And, and, and I have said this and I will keep saying this. Social media has been the biggest social experiment carried out to date. And I think in terms of psychology and cyber psychology and just how we learn as human beings, there has been some serious manipulation in terms of what, what we've done not knowing what this technology is, and then the, the manipulation that's happened at the higher levels in order to get us to do certain things. So I, I, I'm, yep. Yep. yeah, yeah, which I, I, did, I did kind of make a promise to myself, and I thought, stay away from the Zuckerberg. Everybody's going to be covering <laughs> the Zuckerberg thing at the moment. So it's, um, yeah, although I must admit... Yeah, I mean... <laughs> sorry, I was going to say, I do, <laughs> like the meme. I do like the memes of him as data. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I mean, like you said, it's important to talk about and, and while there are certain Bruce Schneier is just one example, right? There have been cryptologists and privacy experts talking about this for <clears> decades. And yes, that may be the case, but it's a good thing that the public, generally speaking, is now becoming aware of even, even, you know, a tiny little sense of, of just how much information they collect and um, to joke and not joke at the same time to your, to your point it is the largest social experiment ever conducted and it's the most meticulously recorded social experiment ever conducted because yeah. they can tell down to a second what you are doing on their platforms, the likes, the comments, right? All those things they show you, but then the data they buy from other websites to, to learn information about you. Mm. Um, so, you know, obviously, I mean, we can talk about Cambridge Analytica and stuff like that if you'd like, but um, my, my biggest thing with, with all of this, you know, the hearings that are going on right now, right, and the investigation in the European Union, um, in the UK, excuse me, but, uh, you know, the, big, the biggest thing for me is really understanding the issue of consent, right? So, yes, it's true that these websites present very long and very lengthy and convoluted terms of service agreements, right, that we are clicking agree when we go on these websites, but Am I really consenting if I don't read it? Am I really consenting if I don't understand the extent yeah. to which you're going to collect information about me, if I don't understand that you're going to sell that information, right? Um, and, and this is the, the only thing I have written about this entire thing has been about that issue of consent. Um, yeah. And really understanding, right, that yes, they read your messages and yes, they record your likes, but, and it's not just Facebook, right? It's, it's Amazon, it's many, many tech companies, right? are buying up billions of dollars worth of your information from other websites mm -hmm. and I have no doubt are tracking things like what 
you know, everything from what you shop to your political slant, to your, to your religious ideology, to your sexuality, to the porn sites you visit, right? I mean, the, the data collection, because data brokerage in the United States is a completely unregulated industry, there are no rules when it comes to what they can and cannot do. So, um, yes, there's a lot of scandalous stuff and there's a lot of speculation. Will Facebook collapse and will the government crack Facebook? I think all of that's getting, you know, that's getting a little out there. I think really just what we have to think about going forward is do we consent to these things and are we willing to give up something like Facebook to show that there needs to be a competitive market for privacy sensitive or customer oriented social media platforms. So, Mm. um, that was kind of long-winded, but that's 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 my my the short of it. My take on this whole thing. No, I, I'm I'm with you on this, Justin, all the way. And and the I mean, consent. To be perfectly honest, because of what I do in um, uh, psychotherapy, um, a lot of the clients I work with yeah. um, are victims of abuse, and that might be sexual abuse, whether it's online, real life, um, it, domestic abuse. It can be any kind of abuse, and the the one topic that tends to sit underneath all of this all of the time is consent um and obviously we've got the fact that children don't know what they're um consenting to and by children i mean anybody under the age of 25 um but also (laughs) i'm I'm just thinking of the conversations that i've had with uh my children with children in therapy with other adolescents and i've i've said something like but do you understand that your data is being collected and blah 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 and they'll go i don't care because actually until you get to about 25 years of age and you start to, um, you know, and you, your brain has fully matured in terms of the prefrontal cortex and how you can uh, assimilate information, I, a, lot of these, right. a lot of these young people are correct. They don't care because actually this is what we're tapping into is this, this is the human beingness of, you know, they're, they're using a device because they haven't seen, um, and obviously I know that I'm quite a lot o- older than you, I've got a pre, post, during, after internet kind of uh, narrative. So I, I've sat and I've watched how this worked, you know, paper, paper formats of a consent form all the way through to this, this thing where you can scan through really quickly and just click agree at the bottom. And, and right. I, I, right. I think you're absolutely right on this. This idea of consent is, is fundamental. It's absolutely fundamental as to what people are sharing, why they're sharing it, what's being collected. And I think this, is, this probably taps into this idea of um, the, the biases, the heuristics, um, the choices that we make and the errors that we're making. Yeah, yeah, we're more trusting online, right? And so we're mm-hmm. going to click things more quickly. Yeah. And obviously, um, the you know the internet was not designed for for privacy per se it was not designed by any means for security mm-hmm. the internet was designed with redundancy in mind the internet was designed to be constantly available at any time um and even if you go and look back in in the late 1950s and the 1960s around arpanet and things like that and some of the theories mm-hmm. the writings at the time on the internet and the idea of an interconnected global computer network, some of the writings were actually directly motivated by fear of nuclear war, American Cold War hysteria, and wanting a network that would survive a nuclear attack so the Pentagon could communicate with Utah. You know, so um, point being, right, you know, the internet, the, the fundamental reason for using it in the first place and the fundamental design is heavily predicated on 
efficiency, incredibly predicated on speed, on optimizing human processes. And so, you know, much like designing software and then asking after your company's hacked, oh, maybe we should have designed it more securely, you know, using mm -hmm. the internet, privacy is an afterthought. And so to your point, it is very much ingrained in the ways in which we approach the internet and our lack yeah. of instincts on the internet, because we go on wanting, like you said, we want human connection, right? We want to communicate with other people. Yeah. We want to be recognized. We want affirmation and confirmation bias. We want our posts liked. We want to see political articles that agree with our leanings. We are not going on with the thought of privacy or we're not going on thinking using the internet will make me a safer person right so yeah when we do get those forms that say there is a risk of your data being stolen if you give it to us or click here and we will sell your information right we're not going to read that and we're not going to care about it in many instances because it's hidden and because you know we're so conditioned to just see the internet as convenient um, which is mm -hmm. another reason why I think <laughs> You know, to get one last point in here, I think it's so interesting that there's a lot of discussion now of privacy because I think finally there's been enough of a sudden shocking force, like any sort of ideological situation, to shake the foundation of the need and the obsession for efficiency yeah. is these revelations about how a loss of privacy for Facebook users is being a un you know used unethically by this incredibly unethical company. I mean, if you've watched the videos or right, Cambridge Analytica, the stuff they discuss is, is mind blowing. Mm. And the second point that there may actually have been tangible political effects here in the United States because of this privacy loss. I think this is the shock that might force you know is forcing people to reconsider that foundation. But um, the foundation itself is still, like you said, rooted in those biases that the internet and social media and all this stuff is meant for convenience and, and self improvement kind of, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to, to be honest, Justin, I think we, we've got in the, um, particularly in the UK at the moment, the same kind of political issues that, um, there's now quite, um, and I'm not going to call it a conspiracy theory. There's, there's a lot of discussion that I'm starting to see appear, um, fully enough, mainly on Facebook of, um, people, uh, producing videos talking about were we given misinformation regarding Brexit and, and is that the reason that people voted in the way that they mm. did um, and are we being right. if you like are we being fed the information that the companies would like to see rather than the information that's actually out there so yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I'm with yeah. you massively on this yeah yeah I mean and that's you know, that's a pivot, but also just a clean transition into disinformation and information warfare more generally, right? Mm. Um, I actually, so with, with Tassos, actually the same author, um, and also, also a third, uh, we have a paper coming out in Divergent Options, which is a, a strategy publication, um, in a few weeks about information warfare as a cybersecurity issue. And, you know, like, it, it's just interesting to think, right? I mean, nation states have been conducting information warfare, propaganda, censorship, things like that for centuries, right? I mean, that's been yeah. going on thousands yeah. of years. Back. Um, the difference today, of course, is that it's extremely low cost. It's extremely scalable and it's delivered right to the phone, which as you pointed out, is 35 inches from your face or, or you know, 35 centimeters from your face rather. Um, and you're going to trust everything you see on it. So, 
Yep. That's another thing we have to think about with these platforms, right, is we are using platforms that should fight fake news, right? But, you know, we, we might have as one sector of society or even as a majority of society, some consensus on what is true and what is false, right? But that becomes incredibly difficult when you consider two things. The first is how you put that into code. Um, so, so here at Duke University, there's the PolitiFact is, is, has some of its work based, actually, the automatic fact-checking system. And mm-hmm. actually good friends with, with one of the people who runs some of their machine learning. And it's sort of an interesting question, right? How do you teach a computer to identify truth in an article when you can't use context from the article necessarily because people are probably going to you know, use the same kinds of sources in an article. And so do you cross corroborate? Do you, you know, there's a lot of interesting questions. The second thing being what, you know, the United, Russia conducting, we know Russia's conducted disinformation campaigns, right? In, in United States, United Kingdom, Germany, France, Latvia, right? There's many countries in which they have deliberately taken over accounts or created fake ones Mm -hmm. to spread fake news throughout during election cycles, right? Yeah. But consider the alternative. Consider if the United States wanted to conduct an information warfare campaign in Russia, or what if the UK wanted to conduct one in, in Syria, right? Um, you know, we start thinking in that sense, and then you have to start asking yourself these really abstract philosophical questions, which I am by no means equipped to answer, about, how, you know, to what extent is truth cultural? To what extent is truth relative to a culture? Or you know, and the reason I, I say all this is because ultimately it comes back to platforms like Facebook to make these decisions about what to host and what to not host and how to contextualize everything. Yeah. And, you know, in a world where information is so centered on just a few platforms, it becomes extremely difficult to figure out, do we censor this just because it's, it has some questionable statistics, but it's not quote unquote fake news, Right. Do we take this offline? Am I, am I imputing, yes, it's a private platform, but, but as many people have argued, social media and the internet can be considered a public forum. So am I censoring somebody's right to free speech by blocking them from sharing disinformation, right? So you start, yeah. you know, you start going down this rabbit hole and there's all of these questions mm-hmm. and none of the answers are clear and they're extremely complicated. They're complicated philosophically, they're complicated legally, they're complicated culturally, technically, and, you know, so, so it's, it's such a concern for, you know, what information are we putting out there? How are we consuming it? And how do platforms regulate it? Yeah, massively. I'm just thinking about, um, in my book, I've got, um, so I'm, I'm kind of breaking things down into, um, so hopefully it's going to be one thing that leads on to another. One of the sections is actually about critical thinking and why, why it's such a difficult skill to to engage in because it actually takes up quite a lot of um, brain resources in ta- in terms of time and obviously uh, we're going to go with the you know the brain is efficient or lazy it depends on how you want to look at it but there is something about um, critical thinking is something that we we won't always do as human beings so I'm I'm kind of with you on if if we can get the platforms to do it but I'm. Uh, and I, I, as you were talking, I just thought, where have I read, read, where have I read it? It's in uh, Prometheus Rising, where um, the author talks about the tickets that we all buy into. Um, 
and that was money. Well, I think that the tickets that we all now have in terms of um, our our currency, if you like, is information. And I think this is this is yeah. the level this is the level that we're at, isn't it? Is what information do we get as human beings on our on our devices? And how do we know that that's the right information? Um, and I'm just thinking about what you'd written in your article about something about we when we read the first thing that, so for example, if we had two pieces of research and the first one arrived at nine o'clock in the morning and the next one at 11 o'clock, we're likely to have taken notice of the one at nine o'clock and the one at 11 o'clock, even if it's counter um, argumentative, you know, or whatever it is, we're going to go with the nine o'clock one because that was what we were presented with and that's actually how we work as human beings. So it takes a lot of uh, information for us to understand that something might be, uh, it might be the opposite view, it might be different, it might be challenging. And I'm just thinking about this is what happens in debates, isn't it? Is, is when somebody presents a piece of information for you and you've got a um, cognitive dissonance and you don't change your view even though the evidence is right in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. That's, you know, that's an issue with information processing, right? That's an issue yeah. with disinformation. That's an issue with cybersecurity is, is, you know, we are very contextual is, the, you know, the first thing, like you said, with our information, we are going to, you know, whatever we see first, right? We're more likely to remember um, frequency bias, right? Things we yeah. see more, we're more likely to, to think are the case. And the example I used last time was terror attacks, right? which are covered um, quite heavily in the West when they do occur in the West. Mm. And, you know, even though those attacks occur far less frequently and, you know, result in far fewer deaths than things like heart disease or cancer, stuff like that, because those other things aren't covered more, yeah. you tend to have a blown out of proportion sense of the first. So, um, so that, you know, there, there's, there's lots of these biases that are going to make us, fundamentally approach some decisions in very faulty ways and you know again that was kind of what the article was is okay you know what instead of trying to have people go against their biases with awareness of them why don't we just reshape technology training for these biases so yeah. if we know that you're going to best remember what you hear most then we better pick the most important security thing and repeat that the most if we know the first thing we say is going to frame your understanding of the entire training session, we're not going to start by saying humans are terrible at security and you're all going to get hacked. Because then the entire time you're going to be thinking this is futile, this is pointless, why am I doing this, I want to leave, I want to go to the bathroom, blah, 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 right? Yeah. So we're going to start with something positive. We're going to start with explaining how security is like washing your hands or is like, you know. So framing and the ways in which you start teaching someone about something or the ways in which we start processing information all the way until the point at which we have to, you know, months down the road, even if we don't think about it, then have to recall that information to use it. Every step along that way is filled with these biases. And so, um, you know, again, that was just kind of the point was, was it just made more sense to us. Okay, well, why don't we just design for these or design around them rather than trying to fight the grain of biology and decision sciences? So, yeah, yeah, because that, yeah, you're fighting with evolution. <laughs> it's it's not. It's it's almost like saying, right, okay, let's change the way that the brain works. Um, yeah, that's not going to happen. Not not uh, not very quickly either. 
Um, but there is something about actually we have the, the competencies to do this with technology. Um, and I, I, I'm just thinking back to, um, so I've been doing some GDPR webinars with a, a specialist and we, it, because um, my profession seems to be absolutely terrified of these, these four letters, um, and one, one of the things we're doing is saying there's nothing to be scared of here. You know, this is about something that you've always done, um, but that there's been this whole panic. And I think that that's, that's another thing that's been created by um, the, the system, if you like, that people are now saying, oh, well, you need to be, you know, GDPR compliant. And, and then people say, oh, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Rather than saying, okay, there's something that's going to change. But in terms of what you already do, here's what it is. It's nothing to be scared of. And this is all you need to do to change your practice. Um, and it's it's been really, really interesting how my inbox has been inundated with question upon question upon question, and they're all panic-driven. It, it, it seems yeah. that, yeah. That, that, you know, these four letters, Kath, what does it mean for my practice? And I've said, well, not much difference, really. Maybe you need to do this. Maybe yeah. you need to do that. And and people are like, but, but you're, so, you're so calm and everything. Well, that's because, A, I mean, I've, I've kind of grown up with technology and I'm not frightened by it. And I think that that's, that's what we're saying, isn't it? Is the word cybersecurity tends to freak people out in the same way. You know, they go, what, what do you mean cybersecurity? Yep. Uh, well, what <laughs> yeah. I mean is by keeping your, your information as safe as possible. You know, that, it, it just doesn't have the same ring to it, though, does it? You know, we've, um, I, do like the word, I do like the word cyber. Um, and, and yeah. again, you'll get more funding with the word cyber too so. <laughs> and yeah and lots of people ask me you know well, what, what, what does that mean Kath and I say well if I was to say uh, virtual you still wouldn't understand what I was talking about so that's, <laughs> that's why I came up with cyber trauma because actually I was looking at the fact that this this is not um, something specific to um, a smartphone it's it's about all things cyber based um, which, which kind of goes what I was saying earlier about where this, where these other words have just disappeared into the the uh, I don't know ethereal somewhere they've they've just disappeared haven't they? But digital, yeah, digital and uh, yeah. cyber. So what? Yeah, what I'm just thinking here. What 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 do I want to ask next? <laughs> yeah. What? And obviously, I want to make sure that we can we can get this in on uh, in the time. So I'm just I'm just thinking cybersecurity. Actually, yeah. How do we how do we make it less scary? How do we make it something that people approach? Let's go with your metaphor of, of like they would do washing their hands. Yeah, um, there. I mean, I am by no means at all the first person to be saying saying that we need to stop calling humans the the weakest link in security, right? Um, you know, Mike Johnson from Lyft and there have been some, you know, Lance Spitzner and some other guys on many people on LinkedIn and, you know, in other places talking about if you're going to approach keeping people's information safe or having them be safe online with the idea that, well, you're terrible at this and you're eventually going to fail, but I guess we're going to try and teach you anyway. That you have the wrong attitude, they have the wrong attitude, right? And we know, yeah. we know from from many, many psychological studies since you know, I think even back to the fifties and sixties, right? The stereotype threat. If we perceive that we are going to be stereotyped a certain way because of our race, because of our gender, because of you know any any facet of our identity, we are going to implicitly behave better or worse based on whether that's positive or negative. Mm -hmm. If I think as a woman in STEM, right, if I was 
you know, if I was a woman with them, if I think I'm going to do worse on this assignment, just because I'm a woman, if, you know, I say, even if I don't believe it, but I, but I think other people have that perception of me, a lot of these studies indicate that I probably will do, even if it's just a little bit worse, I'll probably do worse just even knowing that that's the expectation. So if we go in telling people, you're going to suck at this, this is not going to be good, you're going to get hacked, people are going to, even if they want to fight that as hard as they can, we're all going to perform a little bit less optimally just by knowing that that's the expectation. So mm. how do you approach this? That's the first thing is you cannot go in with the mindset that, you know, there is no point in teaching you, but I have to do this because my company says so, right? You have to go in with the mindset that if you frame security in ways that's convenient, if you frame security in ways that's not scary, you actually do have a great chance of improving the security of an individual and the security of a corporation. And what the heck does that even mean, right? This abstract term security. That means your information is more safe. That means you're less likely to be a victim of identity theft. That means you're less likely to have your social media taken over and have all these ridiculous things posted. You know, that means your social security number is not going to be sitting on a dark web forum somewhere. So there are these clear benefits and, and, you know, that's just another component is that's really the fundamental start is explaining it in ways that make sense, that are not scary, and that are not scaring people away by telling them there's no chance that they'll do it well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just thinking about um, uh, the, there's a couple of social psychology experiments that talk about this and your behavior changes. Um, in fact, I, I quite often... When I'm when I'm commenting on posts on usually on social media, like I said earlier, when I get embroiled when I get embroiled in stuff, that there's there's socially desirable answers as well. You know, that we adapt our behaviour based on what we think another person will right. will will make it. You know, whether they will judge us, whether they will uh, make assumptions, and we we adapt our behaviour to to accommodate that. And and the biggest right. probably biggest research that ever looked into this was the Kinsey one where people were asked about their their sexual um interests fantasies desires and basically everybody said that they only had sex twice a week and they always did it in missionary position and what are you talking about nobody has sexual fantasies because they just didn't right. want to be perceived in a in a different way so yeah yep I can definitely, I mean, definitely I've, I've been around some training where um, it, people have almost tutted straight away when you say, right, cybersecurity. <sighs> and, and do you know what? I think this is... Uh, what's the IT thing. guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's the, yeah, or girl. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. not be sexist. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. oh dear me, them days. There is something around, oh, it's pretty much the same with sex ed as well, um, that, that people will just go, oh, not this again. And it, it is, it's pretty much, you know, we're going to talk to you about this, this, and that health and safety. That's, the, that's, another, um, that's another topic that tends to bring about people uh, having this attitude. So it's almost apathetic, isn't it? It's like, oh, God, not again. Do we have to? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But there, there, there is something about, actually, this is about you keeping you as safe as possible. And there, I mean, there are no guarantees. It is one of the things that I've said to people. And a, and, and a lot of people say, oh, Kath, you make the internet sound really scary. And I said, because I only talk about the scary things. That's why. It's my job, it's right. my job to focus on these things. But actually, I've, I've managed to do, and, and these are the positives. I've managed to have a, a start a podcast. I do a blog. I've got a website. I've spoken to people from around the world. I've gone and met people. Obviously, um, 
done safely. But I've gone and met people that I've talked to on the internet. Right. I, I, I've had some fantastic years in terms of the positive side of things. But when I do go out teaching, obviously I'm looking at the scary parts where it's had an effect negatively. Um, so right. I, I do say to people, you know, it's not all scary and it is quite easy to do if you know what to do, but it sounds like people have been scared. Yeah. People have been absolutely scared silly because somebody said, yeah. oh, this is going to happen. And, and it's almost that, you know, if you, if you let your data go before you know it, you'll have a cyborg at your door and, and we're, we're into some of the fantasy TV programs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's saying there's a lack of instincts in the cyber domain, which I think in many respects is true, that we that we lack some deep, whether it's biological or cultural or whatever, intuition about how to behave online. Um, you know, again, that all just comes back to how we teach about it. And so that's why I think there is this imperative, while the internet is used for great things and even take the case of Facebook, right? People talking mm -hmm. about, oh, shut Facebook down, right? Facebook, you know, yes, there's there are issues with, you know, you can argue issues with addiction and their information warfare problems and all kinds of stuff, right? But think of all the social movements that have started because of Facebook. Think of all the people worldwide that have been able to connect with family and friends because of Facebook. Think of the checks on authoritarian regimes or corruption that have been afforded in other countries because the yeah. free press uses Facebook to communicate, right? Yeah. Facebook has done a lot of good. And I think, you know, to your point, that's something to remember is that, you know, the internet is a good place and there are a lot of good things going on and it has done a lot of positives for society, but like anything like medical research, like history, right? We also have to educate about the bad things. That's just the nature of the beast. You know, we have to talk about the dark web and, and, child exploitation and human trafficking and narcotics and cyber terrorism, right? We just have to talk about this stuff because it's out there and it's, it's necessary that in addition to planning for our big bright future where our microwave and oven cook for us, right? <laughs> we also are, are a little bit, yeah. you know, I know you mentioned Elon Musk before, but, but before we started, but you know, we should also be thinking about the world in which AI can, you know, ruin, ruin us. So, so, you know, it's, it's dual use. It's like all technology, yeah. there's good and bad. And, you know, that's just something we have to accept. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's something, um, what was I going to say then? So I, I was at um, a, a digital safeguarding conference a couple of weeks ago. So I was presenting in the afternoon and, and it was really interesting to listen to the people presenting during the day. Um, now, one of the people um, I'd heard uh, many, many years ago and their speech or his speech was pretty much word for word the same as it was five years ago and he kind of introduced this really scary world about ch you know children doing this 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 and this uh, and I was kind right. of like that's not actually what it's like there is something about we don't know how to behave on the internet because we haven't had the bloody thing before and it's like I say to people it's, it's <laughs> like being a parent if you've never been a parent before all you can do <laughs> is copy what you think you're supposed to do or you go and read a book on it and actually we and I, I use this phrase all of the time we are in the infancy of what what this is you know we, we are we're at the beginning of understanding what the internet actually is does and is capable of and that's that's definitely apparent 10 years into facebook and if i think about neuroscience 
we know very, very little about neuroscience, but we, we talk about this decade of the brain. And I think, well, what, what does that actually give us? Over 10 years, it's a minute amount of information about the brain. Uh, it, it really is kind of, it, it's, it's, uh, it makes me feel very insignificant and, and rightly so, because I kind of look at this idea of people saying, yeah, but the internet is this, the internet is that. And I go, how do you know? It's only just started. Um, this, is, this, is, this is a tiny toddler just beginning to walk, isn't it? And, and we're kind of making assumptions about what will and won't happen and, and so on and so forth. Um, and I'm going to do um, like an intro to, so it's going to be slightly different to our last podcast. I will do an intro to uh, what we're going to talk about, mainly because A, that's where I'm now doing my marketing because I'm, I'm learning from other people's podcasts. But have you, have you ever listened to Rob Reed's podcast? called after on i have that it's a it's amazing and and i'm not one for saying um that podcast people shouldn't talk about other people's podcasts because i think it's um it's absolutely brilliant in terms of he wrote a novel um called after on which was about um okay. it was basically um machine learning and uh, there's lots and lots of things i'm not going to spoil it actually but essentially um it, it's it's a very good novel, okay? And there's things in there that he then um, interviews people regarding. So he's spoken to, um, oh, let me see, um, the person, oh, I've forgotten her name. I, why does that happen when I need somebody's name and it just drops out of my head? Um, but she's the, um, so she's been at Facebook. She's been, um, she's the lady who, Oh, God, Bennett, I hate this. I really hate this. Um, tip of the tongue state, it's called. Um, but there's, there's um, a, a, a website called Open Water, yeah? And Open Water is um, um, a, a cyber-based digital health service. It's got such a, a fantastic remit that it's going to do. Um, and the lady who's designed okay. it um, looks at ways that um, health can be measured, so it'll use optics, um, so she was the person behind holograms, and I'm, her name has just completely gone. Um, so Rob, Rob talks to people about issues about, um, so one of my posts has recently been about why I had my DNA sequenced, but also the ethics behind it in terms of my DNA would now sit on a computer, and what happens if somebody gets hold of that DNA? You know, what happens if I get um, information about my DNA? And the proposition in this podcast is, is potentially. So say, say I have a gene that's, um, that says I'm very good at spelling, okay? And somebody who's not very good at spelling comes along and says, well, actually, can I buy that? You know, what, where are we going to go in terms of the future, in terms of what we can do, what we can't do? Um, and and I, would, I would just recommend that people listen to the After On podcast and read the book as well, because um, it's just really interesting. And then I tend to listen to Team Human with um, Douglas Rushkoff. Do you, do you listen to that okay. one as well? Oh. No, I've never heard of that. Uh, well, I'm, I'm a, wherever I'm wandering around, I've got um, podcasts on and, and I'm forever learning. But the cyber-based ones, <laughs> there's really not enough of these conversations happening, I don't think. No, no, definitely not. Yeah. So I've just noticed that we might well have been talking for nearly an hour. Um, so I think what we what we might do is we might come to a close. We might. No, I'm going to suggest that we come to a close for today. Um, and again, for not even knowing what question I was going to begin with, um, this is <laughs> phenomenal again. 
Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to thank you very much for your time again, Justin, because obviously it's now uh, like 20 past 10 or something here on Friday the 13th. And <laughs> the actually, the technology has held out for us, hasn't it? So Yeah, shockingly, that's, right? <laughs> that's all good. Um, I'll send you the bits and pieces that I've said I'm going to. Um, and obviously, I'll put your article in the show notes again. Um, and I'm going to suggest that people go and read it because it really is, really is interesting. And, and, and then I might even suggest to you that I do a paper with you, that we, we come up with something that we can do. Because I think um, I, I really, really like kind of the conversations that we've been having. Um, and to be perfectly honest, I can't have you on the podcast every single week because then it would just be the Kath and Justin show. And, and I promised Gary, um, who's another person who comes on, that we might have the Kath and Gary show. So there is something about I have to I have to filter people out at the moment and say, okay, I've, I've got lots of others to do as well. There's only so much people can listen to me talk anyway. So, I, well, I could I could quite happily do this for another hour, two hours, three hours. Um, a because I just like talking, and B, this is really the kind of stuff that I want. This is the nitty gritty stuff I, I really want to be talking about on this podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. No, well, thank you for having me. It's been uh, been another great conversation. So hopefully yeah. people enjoy it. Fabulous. All right. Thank you ever so much for your time, then, Justin. Thank you.